This is I Choose Life Radio Magazine, sponsored by Allen County Right to Life, committed to defending innocent human life for all people of all ages. Your hosts are Kathy Humbarger and Mark Mellinger. Welcome to I Choose Life Radio Magazine. I'm Kathy Humbarger. And I'm Mark Mellinger. I Choose Life Radio Magazine is a production of Allen County Right to Life and WFCV, 1090 AM, the Bot Radio Network Station in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mark Mellinger with you, and I am with Mike Fichter, Executive Director of Indiana Right to Life. And Mike, as always, it's good to have you on the line. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Well, you wanted to talk about the Indiana Right to Life yearly conference this year. It's something that definitely this audience should know about. So why don't you tell us when it's going to be, and then we can uh, hit some of the highlights. Great. We, we have a state pro-life conference scheduled for Saturday, November 17th and it's going to be at the University Place Conference Center, which is on the campus of IUPUI in Indianapolis. And it's going to be a really exciting event that will have something for everyone. Let's talk about some of the high points. Who do you see as being the speakers of, uh, of most widespread interest? Well, we know at this point that uh, we've been very fortunate to be able to schedule Joel Brind, uh, Dr. Brin is uh, an internationally known expert on research that uh, explores the link between breast cancer and abortion. And Dr. Brin will be there uh, leading a general session on that day and will be going in depth to explore, uh, the, to explore that specific link and also to address uh, a lot of the different um, reports that have come out that have tried to deny such an existence between abortion and breast cancer, and uh, he will be addressing that head-on and, and will be answering questions from the audience at that time. So we're very excited about uh, Joel Brin's appearance. Um, we also know that on that day we're going to have Dr. David Prentice. Uh, Dr. Prentice formerly was a professor at Indiana State University, but he currently works uh, on the staff of the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., and Dr. Prentice is an internationally known expert on embryonic stem cells, uh, human cloning, and all of the issues that, uh, that swirl around both of those. And uh, Dr. Prentice will do uh, an incredible job of explaining stem cell research in terms where lay people can understand. I know sometimes it seems like a very complex issue, but uh, at the end of the day, folks who attend and hear Dr. Prentice's presentation will understand very clearly that pro-lifers are all for stem cell research as long as it's using stem cells that do not require the destruction of a human embryo. And, of course, you can't have stem cell research using human embryos without killing those embryos. So instead, uh, scientists are finding uh, all of these great advances using everything from uh, skin cells to hair cells to umbilical cord blood and uh, even fat cells now are having stem cells extracted and used uh, to find cures for some dreaded diseases in this country. So uh, Dr. Prentice will be exploring that in detail. Um, we will have a closing banquet for the conference that will feature Gary Bauer. Uh, Gary Bauer uh, rose to national prominence as a 2000 presidential candidate. Uh, he, of course, is the previous president of the Family Research Council, served as domestic policy advisor under the Reagan administration, uh, was under Secretary of Education during the Reagan administration early on, and just an incredible guy, one of the foremost um, conservative statesmen in the country, uh, will be there to close the day out. Now, 
packaged around all of that stuff. We still have some very uh, big speakers we're working to secure right now, so that will be news that is forthcoming. But uh, throughout the entire day, we're going to pack breakout sessions into this conference that will give everyone a choice of three different workshops to attend. Each workshop will be designed to address a specific topic. So, for example, if someone is interested in building relationships with the urban community, we'll have a workshop that will explore the best ways to do that. Uh, if someone is um, interested in, you know, for example, being able to uh, defend the effectiveness of abstinence programs, which have come increasingly under attack, mm-hmm. we'll have people there that will be able to provide the information and the background so that uh, folks will be knowledgeable to go back to their communities. We'll have practical stuff like how to write effective letters to the editor, uh, how to communicate the pro-life message to your community, things like that. So I I can tell you, Mark, that what we're looking at is really a two-pronged focus for this entire event. The first prong is to educate everyone who wants to be more effective in protecting the sanctity of life. But the second prong, which we see as equally important, is to motivate everyone who's there we will consider this conference a success if people leave on that day with a little bit of a better understanding on how they can stand up for life, but most importantly that they leave with the motivation and the fire to go back to their individual communities and put all of what they've learned into practice and know that they're having a hands-on role in saving lives. And I need to really just affirm with everyone out there, if someone is brand new to the life issue. That's okay. We want folks who are brand new. We want seasoned veterans that have been out there for a long time. Anybody who's had uh, you know any involvement at all or just wanting to be involved and they really don't know what to do, uh, this conference is designed for everyone. Uh, it's not just an exclusive leaders conference. You don't have to have some type of credentials to be there, and no one is uh, disqualified from showing up, I guess, because they've not been involved enough. There's something for everybody, and I think folks will really enjoy the day uh, there at the uh, the state conference. Again, it is the Indiana Right to Life yearly pro-life conference, and it is coming up Saturday, November 17th. I think Mike has just summed up for you what's going to be going on that day very, very well. So, Mike, let's end on this. If somebody is interested and they think, well, maybe I want to go, where can they find out more information and uh, how would they learn more about registering? What we're doing at this point is working through all the final details, registration fees, all that sort of stuff. So we don't have all of the bottom line uh, fees set at this point. But here's what folks can do. If they're interested in learning more and they know they want to attend, they want to find out what levels of involvement they might have, uh, they can call us toll-free at 888-240-8166. Give us a call. Let us know you're interested And, you know, what we're looking for are folks not only to come individually, but this is a great opportunity for people to, you know, load the car up, four or five people to come down together, or maybe a church wants to bring uh, a church van down with folks and educate their, uh, you know, maybe a life team committee within the church or whatever for that day. Um, The success of this will really depend on folks grabbing their friends and neighbors and saying, hey, let's go on this Saturday and uh, get this information. So that number, again, that people can call is 888-240-8166. 
Again, 888-240-8166 for the Indiana Right to Life Yearly Pro-Life Conference. And again, the main speaker is Gary Bauer, former presidential candidate, former president of the Family Research Council, and I'm sure he'll just have a ton of nuggets of wisdom for you there, so it should be a great time. Mike Victor, our Executive Director of Indiana Right to Life, as always, thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. This is Kathy Humbarger, and let's never forget that the right to choose abortion is really the right to dismember, poison, stab, and discard little babies and throw their broken bodies in trash cans and garbage disposals at the rate of over one million babies each year in our country. The abortion provider's definition of a successful procedure results in a dead baby. The abortionist's worst nightmare is when the baby survives. Let's be encouraged today as we hear the story of a little baby who would not die. Joining us via telephone are Vic and Susan Ippoliti from St. Meinrad, Indiana. Welcome, Susan and Vic. Thank you. Nice to be here. So glad to have you with us. And, and your story is indeed a word of encouragement. And it begins Almost 20 years ago, on November 10th, 1988, tell us what happened that day. On that day, there was a little baby that survived an abortion that had been done in South Korea, and she was rescued by prior arrangement. Uh, If there had been any living babies at that abortion facility, and there were some because they were aborted in a little bit later term, There was a group of nuns that ran a a home for unwed mothers. And so one of them came to the abortion facility and picked up the little baby and uh, took her to the hospital. And what uh, gestational age, how far along in the pregnancy was this little baby's mother at the time she chose to have an abortion? About 32 weeks. 32 weeks. That would be roughly seven months. Is that right? That's right. And Vic, how much did this little one weigh? Maybe three pounds or so? About three three pounds. pounds, yeah. So very, very much a premature little girl. And uh, we could tell from the, her, her very beginning moments that she was a determined little girl. She must have been. <laughs> so I understand she was wrapped in some papers and left on a shelf to die. And, and uh, that didn't happen, obviously. No, it didn't. That's really the most important and probably the most incredible part of this whole story is that God seemed to work from the moment of, of her birth to uh, provide for her, protect her. And Susan, I understand you were literally on the other side of the world uh, when this little baby was born. What were you doing, and how did you possibly connect with this little baby that was literally a world away? Um, yeah, I wasn't aware of the day she was born. At that time, uh, Vic was in South Korea, in the Air Force, Mm -hmm. and he had moved there ahead of the family. We had two young sons, ages five and two, and the boys and I stayed at my parents' house in Texas, and we were awaiting family housing. So I might let Vic tell how he uh, heard about this little baby. Okay, so Vic, Susan's in Texas, and you're in Korea. What happened next? Well, I've always been active in the Scouts. Boy Scouting, and uh, I have been asked to be a member of the scouting 
organization there in Korea, and I was, and I had gone to a meeting uh, of one of the local troops and heard two women talking about this little baby, and it, as, we were, as I was listening to this, they, one of them just said to me, oh, would you like a little baby girl? Wow. And uh, I said, yeah, I would, actually. Cause <laughs> Maybe I better I ask a, my wife. <laughs> yeah. Susan and I had two sons at that time, and uh, we had been talking about how nice it would be to have a little girl. And I said, well, let me hear more about this little girl. And they explained that she was very, very handicapped, but they needed a host family. And one of the uh, ladies was a lady by the name of uh, Mary Helene Mealy. And she was, her and her husband were part of the embassy staff there in Korea. And they had taken Teresa because the uh, Korean hospital and uh, healthcare system wasn't prepared to deal with her. So the nun... And uh, who had taken, who had rescued Teresa, needed a host family so they could get this child into the uh, American healthcare system. She was with that family at the time you were approached. That's right. And so they were, but they had said that they would only take her temporarily. They did not want to have her. They they recognized they couldn't make a permanent commitment for this child sure. or for any child. So they did everything they could, and they and they did a great job. And again, it's kind of interesting how God found this family and was able to keep her alive and protect her until somebody else could take their place. So, Susan, the phone rings and Vic says to you, do you want to have a baby girl? Is that how the conversation went? (laughs) That's probably about right. I don't remember exactly, but that's probably about right. And uh, I do love babies and I, and I love children and my ears perked up and uh, he told me the situation and uh, it, we did realize it would be a very difficult situation because uh, she was very handicapped and not expected to do well. She couldn't suck. She couldn't swallow. She was tube-fed and had a very bleak uh, prognosis predicted mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. her. But all I can say is God had prepared my heart for that, and we had... Uh, spoken a little bit against abortion, you know, for the pro-life cause. And we felt like uh, if this was our word to tell people uh, that abortion was wrong, that uh, we should also show with our actions that Mm -hmm. we really did believe that and be willing to sacrifice our comfort and our lives for that. Mm. And so that was kind of our mindset is that yeah, she was a sweet little baby girl, but she was a child in need of care, and that was the main thing. And I didn't just uh, jump right then. I felt like we really needed to pray about this, as did Vic, and um, you know, give it a little time just to think about it. But I think that was just about two or three days before uh, we did feel very convinced that this was the right situation for us and that it would be good for the baby. So you were pretty much of of one mind from the beginning, but also you considered the consequences because with your your medical background as an RN, you understood maybe better than some of us would have what possibilities and what challenges were going to be in front of you. Is that correct? Yes, I think that is correct. And I also have a, an interest in uh, mentally handicapped people. And uh, I grew up with a Down syndrome sister and, and have a love for this type of person. 
And it just seemed like uh, that was not really an obstacle, the fact that she would be mentally handicapped, that I thought that we could deal with that. Mm. Well, tell us about Teresa's medical condition at the time you brought her home. She had some difficulty swallowing and some other problems. What was she like when you um, carried her in your arms into your home? The main thing I would say was that she was very alert, and mm-hmm. we noticed that about her. We noticed that that her eyes were were looking around and seemed to be taking things in, uh, but she had a severe problem in that she couldn't swallow at all. Wow. And so she had a constant accumulation of mucus mm. in her throat that she would have choked on had she not been suctioned uh Frequently, wow. so we had a little a little mouth suction device, and then we also had an electric suction machine that we had to use every few minutes. And she needed to be kept flat and kind of on her side so that it wouldn't run back into her throat. Wow! And so that was uh, the cause also of her um, uh, upper respiratory and lower respiratory infections that she seemed to frequently be struggling with. So she was very sickly, and uh, uh, it just had this kind of constant flow of of wetness about her. And she was fed through a a tube that was inserted, a little tube that we would put from her nose down to her stomach several times a day to feed her. And uh, other than that... She was pretty much normal baby care, but she was pretty... um, Fragile. Fragile. That's a good word, yes. (laughs) So you're in Korea with this little girl who uh, was... How old was she at the time? She was four months when she came to our house. Four months after the abortionist attempted to end her life. She's in your arms and uh, requires quite a bit of medical attention. Uh, What happened after that? Were these treatable conditions? Did she have surgeries? What happened um, in terms of her medical treatment after you held her in your arms that first time? It was a frequent treatment of her uh, respiratory illnesses, and she came close to death a couple of times Mm. with those because she was just so sick. And uh, then when she was six months old, a tube was put directly into her stomach, and I could just feed her a little more easily. And I think she just gained in strength a little bit. She started getting sick a little less frequently. And she still had the mucus, but she started being able to to push it out a little bit. So as the months went by, we didn't have to suction her quite so frequently. And the Lord had yet another addition to your family in mind uh, and blessed you with another little girl a short time after Teresa joined your family. Tell us about Frances and uh, the remarkable relationship between these two little girls. Well, actually, Teresa was almost three years old when Frances was born. And we just see that as God's perfect timing because we were open to the birth of another child at any time. It mm-hmm. could have happened at any time. But we just saw that as as his perfect timing because Teresa was almost three, but as far as her care, all of her care was almost like a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. She could move around. She could turn herself. 
but uh, she was, you know, totally tube-fed. She was in diapers. She wasn't crawling yet at that point. Well, maybe she had started to, but all of her care and her size even were so similar so that having her her little sister, Tony, it was like having twins. I had a twin stroller, and everything I did was for two babies. Mm. And they just grew up together, and they followed a very much the same development pattern from then on. And I think Tony was a real, very much of an encouragement for Teresa, because Teresa would, would watch her and imitate things that she did, and they would play together. And the most incredible thing that I just love to remember is that they both took their first step on the same day. Wow, that is remarkable. It really was. It was so exciting. And then they were just close in size, and they could wear the same clothes, and just uh, grew up almost as twins, although they did look a little different. What a remarkable provision uh, from the Lord. And that's just a reminder to each one of us that no matter what crisis we're facing, God is in it. He is there for us and working in ways that uh, we can't even imagine or understand. He was so faithful to your family and to little Teresa. We're talking today with Vic and Susan Ippoliti, and they're telling the story about little Teresa, the baby that survived an abortion procedure in Korea in 1988, and the, the remarkable story of how she was able to overcome those obstacles in her life, those medical obstacles and and emotional and mental challenges. Vic, tell us about your family today. I understand you have four children all together? No, we have five. We have Alex, who is 24, is married, and uh, he's an Air Force officer also, and he's stationed at Cannon Air Force Base in uh, New Mexico. And uh, he's got one son, or they have one son, and they have one on the way. And then I have... Peter, who's 20, and he's a uh, going to be a junior at Indiana University. And right now, he's on an exchange program in Turkey, where he was uh, born. And then I have Teresa; mm-hmm. he's 18. And then we have Francis, who's 15, and we have Paul, who's 12. Well, the Lord rounded out your family, and who knows, maybe he's not done yet. (laughs) How do you feel about the decision you made so many years ago, uh, Vic, to include Teresa in your family? As you look over your shoulder, what comment would you make at this point? It it turned out better than we can ever have planned. Mm. We were expecting to have to care for Teresa probably the rest of her life, and now there's a good chance that Teresa will be the one caring for us the rest of our lives. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is certainly remarkable. And uh, again, an encouragement to each one of us that faces struggles, either with our children or, or uh, grandchildren or some other struggle, that nothing is impossible or too big for our God. Susan, many of us know the name Sarah Weddington as the attorney who argued the pro-abortion case before the Supreme Court that legalized abortion in our country so many years ago. But I understand you have a connection with Weddington. Tell us what that connection is. Yes, she's my second cousin. I'm not close to her, um, but she is a part of my family. And uh, I would say from a very fine family. I know Mm -hmm. hers very well. Just a bit blinded on this issue, I would imagine. What would you say to her 
if you had the opportunity to discuss the life issue? I would love to say to her that I believe that the direction she took with her life, uh, perhaps she did with, with the best interests of women in mind, but maybe just with a little bit of lack of understanding and that I would love for her to know the story of one particular child that was aborted and uh, seen as a solution to someone's problem and uh, what a precious human being this is and that uh, in spite of the problems that a pregnancy may cause to a woman, that we need to support her not by helping her kill her child but by helping her with the problems that may come to her because of that and to help the children. And I would like for her to see that each child that's aborted is a, a very unique and precious human being. Well said, Susan. And it's also a reminder to each one of us to pray for those who were involved in the abortion industry in any way because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against uh, the spirit of evil that blinds the abortion providers, their defenders, their assistants, and uh, everyone involved in that trade. Uh, They're actually blinded to the truth, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, who's been gracious and merciful to us to allow us to see the truth, they can as well. So I would encourage each one of our listeners to remember these folks as we pray for them. Um, This story has brought to my mind again the truth that God is faithful and that he is about doing the impossible extraordinary things through very ordinary people who are willing to be tools in his hands. Uh, Too often in our society, I believe that we think the solution to a crisis is to eliminate the crisis rather than stand before the creator of the universe and say, I am willing to be used by you in this situation Vic, what thoughts would you share with our listeners about God's grace and blessing as you've been obedient to him in reaching out and caring for little Teresa? I think you got to be open to the possibilities, whatever they are. And, and we would never have planned this. We didn't foresee this. You know, it's just one of those things that God asked us to do, we feel, and we believe we're open to it, and he's blessed us a thousand ways by it. And that blessing is available for each one of us as we are faithful to be obedient to the Lord. Vic and Susan Ippoliti, will you return soon and uh, tell us about future victories in the life of Teresa and her accomplishments to encourage us? We'd be happy to. It's our pleasure. Great. The Lord bless you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. If you or someone you know is in a crisis pregnancy or dealing with the grief and pain after abortion decision, help is just a phone call away. Call 1-800-395-HELP for referral to a crisis pregnancy center in your area where free and confidential support services are available. That's 1-800-395-HELP. You have been listening to I Choose Life Radio Magazine. If you have questions about this program or if you would like to support the fight for life, please call Allen County Right to Life at 471-1849 or go to ichooselife.org because without the right to life, no other rights matter.